like half a dozen. <laughs> <Set jump. laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. Well, good morning, everyone, and I say everyone a little loosely. Welcome all of you intrepid folks who came out this morning. We're glad to have you here with us. And for many more of you probably that are at home watching us, for those of you that might be watching from a different place, we had an ice storm, and so the roads were a little slippery, so people are still working their way in. But we're here to worship the Lord. We want to praise Him um, and... Focus on his grace and his amazing patience with us sinners and his people. So that's what we'll focus on this morning. So let's prepare our hearts to worship the Lord and come into his presence by together reading a good section of Psalm 29, 25. Sorry. So if you would stand up with us, let's read responsively. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love. For you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. For the honor of your name, O Lord. Forgive, Forgive my many, many, many sins. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In green pastures he makes me lie down. He restores my soul and leads me on for his name, for his great name. Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me all my days, and I will dwell in
Good to be here with you this morning as we um, 
yeah, just come together and worship God together as if family gathered here. If you're here in person, you're joining us online. We're glad you're here. We're glad you have yeah, braved the weather if you're here in person. We're glad to have the chance to gather together. So, If you're new or visiting, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. And we're glad you're here worshiping with us. A couple of announcements for you this morning. So, as a church, we're going to be about really three things we talk about a lot. We want to talk about we talk about reaching people with the gospel. We talk about growing to be like Christ. We talk about serving others. So, there's ways to do kind of each of those things. So, when it comes to reaching people, our church is um, hosting a community meal um, at the Northwood Share Community Dinner at the Rock Mission Center on, on May 3rd. So we're looking for some people to help package those meals and then pass them out in the kind of the drive through line for that meal. So if you would like to serve and kind of bless our community in that way, um, you can contact the church office. We can give you more information about that. And then just a few opportunities to, to serve. One is that we can really use people who are willing and able to work kind of back in the sound booth, whether it's slides or doing audio things. Right? If you have any interest in that, we're happy to help you learn and train you in that. Um, and we're just uh, running slides a lot, but we could use a few more people who are equipped to do that um, for being able to provide that service to us at the church. Right. So as we kind of continue in worship, we want to just enter a time of prayer this morning, and just a number of things that are really worth praying for um, at the at the church family. So, we have a number of church members in the in the hospital. Um, we want to pray for, and of course, there's all the things going on in Ukraine um, and just other just hard things going on in the life of the church. And so, we just want to come before God, and uh, even in the midst of these painful things, just stand before him and ask him to work and to be um, at work in these things. So would you join me in a time of prayer? Father, we do come before you now Both, both in awe of your goodness that we just sang of, your goodness and your mercy to us. You are far better to us, far more merciful to us, far more gracious to us than we deserve. We want to praise you for that, for all your goodness. But God, we also come to you in the midst of a a hurting, broken world. There are people in our church family, people who we love, who are going through challenging times. And so we pray that you would be at work in mighty ways to bring healing where it's needed. Like especially of of Mark and of Bob Trevor I just pray for Jim um, for all those who are going through hard times who are dealing with various medical challenges pray that you would be with them that you would bring healing where it's needed That you would bring comfort and peace to the people who are walking through these hard deeds and to their loved ones and their families. God, would your presence feel especially real to those who are walking through a hard time tonight? Would they have a, a special just 
abiding sense of your grace toward them, even in the midst of trial and difficulty. Father, we pray for the people of Ukraine who are dealing with kind of unfathomable difficulties right now. Pray that you would be at work for your glory, even amid the low trials and those hardships. Father, would you work mightily? We pray too for many people in Russia who didn't choose this war but are now dealing with the consequences of the world's reaction to their leaders' actions who are suffering because of that. We pray for Christians in both those places who are seeking to be faithful to you, that you'd be with them, give them boldness and confidence and courage in the midst of these hard times. God, as we continue in this time of singing and of worshiping you, you quiet our hearts now that we could sing praise and worship to you undistracted by care to the world transfixed by your goodness, your mercy and your grace to us we pray in Jesus name Amen We're going to continue to worship in song by singing a couple more songs that focus on God's marvelous grace. So if you would stand again, let's sing together.
my God, my Savior has ransomed me. Father God, your grace is indeed amazing, even when we don't acknowledge it, even when we take it for granted. Your grace toward us is amazing. It is far greater than we realize, far greater than we comprehend. We praise you for it. Would we live a constant state of amazement at your graciousness to us. Will we not take it for granted? Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's the, the guy who makes video for YouTube. His name is Mark Rober. And so, he, he's an engineer by training. In fact, before he made YouTube videos full-time, he used to work for NASA. He, he worked on the, the Curiosity rover that is now on Mars. It's a, obviously a very smart guy. And like his YouTube videos are all about like taking that brilliant engineering brain that he has and applying that brain to like silly and entertaining projects. And so he has videos that are called things like the world's largest super soaker or the first automatic strike bowling ball or rocket-powered golf club or the automatic bullseye moving dartboard. He has all these kind of brilliant engineering videos. But some of his most popular videos are a series of videos that are all called Glitter Bomb versus Porch Pirates. Right? Some of you have, have seen this, right? Because like, there's now four of these videos. Right? They've released one each of the last four years around Christmas time, and all together they've been seen nearly 200 million times. Right? And the premise of these videos, who, for those of you who may not be familiar, is that like, Rober was tired of getting packages stolen off his porch. Right? The UPS would drop off a package someone would come along and steal it before he got home to bring it inside. He decided to do something to teach these package thieves a lesson. And to do this, he created this device. Right, that he, he packaged it inside of a box. Right, the box looked like a package for like a high-end pair of headphones until so it would be tempting to the package thieves. Right. But inside that box was not high-end headphones. It was a, a device that when the box was opened, like glitter would spray all over the thief. Right? It looks something, I think we have a picture of it. Yeah. Like, you open the box, glitter flies everywhere. And in addition to the glitter, it also f- sprayed like a nasty smelling spray. Right? Like later iterations of the box also played this audio that made it sound like the police were being called to chase the thief. On top of all that, like there are four cameras inside that are constantly uploading their footage to the web so that like, we can see how the thief reacts to all this taking place. So if you've not seen these videos and you're bored sometime, like, like they're a good, entertaining few minutes. If you just search Glitter Bomb on YouTube, like, they're the first videos that pop up. But the question is, like, why are these popular so, why are these videos so popular? Like, 200 million views. Like from, a, from an engineering perspective, like these glitter bombs are less impressive than some of the other things that Rober builds. Yet these glitter bomb videos are far more popular. Like why is that? I think the reason is we love seeing people get what they deserve. Right? 
We love seeing what goes around come back around. Like, like we just love when people get punished for the bad things they do. Like it's almost like we have this like, sense of a karma in us. Right? Like, and like not only do we love to see it, but like many of us apparently believe it. According to a, a 2019 survey, 65% of Americans said that they either very strongly or somewhat strongly believe in karma. Right? This idea that people get what they deserve. You can see the, the survey results on this slide here. To the far left is very strongly, and somewhat strongly, then not very strongly, not at all, and then the final 6% are don't know. Right? So according to this chart, only 10% of people said that they in no way agree that people get what they deserve. Right? Even people who don't believe in God or any kind of divine being, right? they're, they're, they still have this like, widespread belief that somehow the quote-unquote universe has a way of balancing the scales right? so that people get what they deserve. And even if you don't believe in karma, and don't believe that people get what they deserve, like, we all wish it was true, right? Like, there are few things more aggravating, more frustrating than seeing someone lie and cheat and steal their way to success. That's like, like lying and cheating and performance enhancing drugs and sports cause so much anger. Like, that's why everyone hates CEOs who become successful through questionable business practices and by being a jerk. Right? Like, no one likes seeing someone succeed who hasn't earned it. No one likes seeing someone who isn't a good person succeed. And like, I'll have to say, like, we seem to have this kind of the karmic, you get what you deserve sense of fairness kind of hardwired into us in some way. We just seem that, that it must be true, right? That people get what they deserve. But there's a problem with that, which is that because we believe that in some sense, then we often assume that when like, something bad happens to someone, then they in some way did something to deserve it. And this kind of thinking was especially common in Jesus' day. And we see an example of that in today's passage in Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 13, looking at verses 1 through 9. And we see this kind of thinking there throughout this passage. Starting in Luke chapter 13, looking at verse 1, we read this. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So apparently, there were some people from Galilee who went to offer a sacrifice at the temple. And Pilate, for some reason we don't know, ordered them killed. And so when they were killed, their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrifices they were offering and they were killed. Like we don't have any particular record of this event specifically anywhere else. Right? But like, all that we know of Pilate from like, other sources, both the Bible and from like, other historical sources, like, it indicates that this is very much in keeping with his personality. Right? That he was brutal, he was ruthless, he often had Jews killed for no particular reason. So he has like these people just struck down. Right? And they're in the midst of performing this kind of sacred, holy, religious ceremony, this sacrifice. And the thinking of the people who heard this story, who heard about them being killed, thought, right? like they're thinking, well, man, if like God let that happen, if God let that happen while they were offering sacrifice, then they must have really done something bad to deserve that death. And that's what we see in verse 2. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And that's, a, that's a rhetorical question from Jesus. Like he knows that the answer to that question is yes. Right? That that's their assumption. That they assume that those Galileans must have been worse sinners because they suffered in this way. But Jesus says in verse 3, that's not the case. Jesus says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
Jesus says it's not the case. That these people died because they were worse sinners. That they didn't die because they were somehow more deserving of the kind of death than other people around them. And he said the same thing in verse 4. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? So this, this Tower of Siloam was probably a part of the wall surrounding Jerusalem, but it was near the pool of Siloam. And apparently at some point, it, it collapsed. And 18 people were underneath it when it collapsed and were killed. And the question is, as it so often is when tragedy strikes, like, why did God let that happen to those people? Like, surely God could have moved them, like, inspired them somehow to not be in that place at that time. Why did God let that happen? And the people like, that Jesus is talking to, like, they don't want to entertain the thought that those people did anything to, that the people didn't do anything to deserve it. They don't want to entertain the thought that maybe this was just random happenstance. And so they make the assumption that those people who were killed, they must have been extra bad. They must have really had some reason that God wanted to punish them. But again, Jesus shoots that notion down in verse 5. I tell you, no, Jesus says. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus says it's not the case. That they were worse sinners than everyone else. Instead, he tells them, unless you repent, you too will also perish. And then he transitions to kind of a weird way, and he tells them a story, a parable. And this parable effort doesn't seem to have much to do with these terrible events he was just talking about. This is what he says in the parable, verses 6 through 9. He says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And that parable doesn't seem to really fit in the flow of thought, right? That parable is all about patience and grace. It's about a man in charge of caring for a fig tree being patient with a fig tree that's not bearing fruit when it should. Conversions 1 through 5, we have these tragic events, these tragic things happening to people. And then in verses 6 or 9, we have this story about patience and grace. So the question is, why did Jesus tell this parable about a patient fig farmer right after talking about all these tragic events? Our brains have a hard time making sense of, of this combination of stories. They seem so contradictory. It's like if the story about Pilate killing people after they offer sacrifices, and the story about people being killed when the Torah falls on them, like if those stories aren't about extra bad people getting what they deserve, which Jesus says they're not, then the only solution that like makes sense to our brains is that these people just suffer because, well, this world is broken and cruel and bleak. This is a world where like, tragedies just strike for no apparent reason. This is a world where terrible things happen to good people. Which leads to the question then, like, why do like, bad things happen to good people? It's a, it's a hard question to answer. It's a question like atheists like, love to ask people who believe in God. Right? If your God is all good and all powerful, like how can he allow bad things to happen? Like, let's not pretend right, there's some easy answer to that question. There's not. It's a, a challenging question. But these verses, when we put them all together, I think begin to help us 
have something of an answer to that question. But the answer that the deep virgin give us may not be the answer we expect. It is indeed hard, right, to make sense of all the tragic things that happen in this world. But what I want to suggest this morning is that the reason it's hard to make sense of all the hard things that happen in this world is not first and foremost because the world is dark and bleak and broken. It is in some ways broken, absolutely. But actually, the reason we struggle to make sense of the pain and suffering in this world is that we live in a world generally saturated with God's grace. I know that may seem counterintuitive, but my goal this morning is to walk you through how I got there, and hopefully by the end of our time this morning, you can agree with this statement. That we are a people with a sense of of karmic justice hardwired into us. We already talked about that. Struggling to make sense of a world saturated in God's grace. We've already talked about this sense that we are a people with this kind of sense of karmic justice hardwired into us. That we have this deep craving to see people get what they deserve. And so we sometimes assume that when something bad happens to someone, they must have had it coming. But then we saw Jesus twice in the passage reject that notion. The people killed by Pilate, the people who the tower fell on, Jesus said they didn't do anything extra bad to deserve that. See, the idea elsewhere in the Bible as well. In John chapter 9, for example, Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they see a man who is born blind. And Jesus' own disciple, people who have been following him, they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? That this, this man or his parents? That he was born blind? Right? Who sinned? Because right? that's the only explanation. Somebody sinned, somebody did something wrong, and this guy got punished for it. That's all that makes sense. They assume his blindness was some kind of punishment, either for his own sins or for the sins of his parents. But just like in our passage from Luke, Jesus says to the disciples there in John 9 that that's not the case. Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. The point of all this is that bad things don't always happen in response to some kind of sin. But if not, where does that leave us? Then why do bad things happen? As we said, one answer other people sometimes give is that it's just because we live in a dark, cruel world. Where, where bad stuff happens. Like, there is no purpose. There is no meaning. You've probably, at some point or another, either seen a poster or seen a, a social media post with some kind of cheesy, inspirational quote. Right? The, the, these posters have things like, with sayings like, right, it's not the number of breaths you take, but the number of moments that take your breath away. Which is like, makes me want to gag, right? But whatever. Right? Or they have, are they like... Or like you only see the rain, you have to look through the rain to see the rainbow. Our life is not about waiting for the storms to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Just like these vomit-inducing sayings that sound good if you don't think about them for more than two seconds. If posting those things on Facebook is your thing, you do you. But just know that I've probably blocked you already. Anyway, I saw one of those things earlier this week. Somehow one got through my filter, and it said this. It said, it takes courage to stay delicate in a world this cruel. Which the point of that quote is obviously to encourage people to stay tender, to stay emotionally sensitive, even when things are hard. But just notice the underlying assumption. That this is a cruel world. That's, that's the underlying given assumption, right? that it takes courage to stay delicate in a world this cruel right? because the world is cruel. That's the underlying assumption. Likewise, if you just search for songs 
with the word cruel world in the title, I found at least 22 results. There's Cruel World by Willie Nelson. There's Goodbye Cruel World by Pink Floyd. There's Hello Cruel World by the band Bad Religion. There's Cruel Cruel World by Darren Hayes. There's Oh Cruel World by The Stripes. 22 songs with the word cruel world in them. At the point of this being, like, there's lots of people who think and affirm that this is just a cruel, dark, bleak world. Okay. If we want to put a like, Christian spin on it, like we often say like, this world is broken and sinful and fallen. And there is absolutely truth in that. In fact, like, that's my, my kind of default answer. Right? When people ask, like, why do bad things happen? Well, because we, we live in a fallen and a broken and a sinful world. And the bad things that happen are, in one sense, a result of sin. But sin generally, right? Not sin, like not some tragedy. It's a one-for-one direct result of someone's sin. But that, like, the general sinfulness of the world and the people in it has led to bad things happening. Like, we see that all throughout the Bible. But understand Luke 13. We have to hold two truths together that are kind of seem to be in tension with each other. Two things that are both true but kind of seem to conflict. These two things are this. First, the world is broken. Broken by sin and it's full of pain and suffering and hardship. That is true. But the second thing we have to understand that we have to grasp, that we have to hold on to dearly at this. That this world, though broken, is saturated with God's grace and is far better than we deserve. Both those things are true at the same time. I I don't want to downplay that that suffering and pain exist. Over the past two months or so, there's been more like trials and pain and suffering like for people in our church family than like at any point since I've been here. There's been real hard things. Not to mention the painful realities that exist right, in the world at large right now, like Ukraine and whatever else. And I don't, like in the face of those painful realities, want to stand up here and preach them blithely cheery sermon. I want to be sensitive to the pain and the trial people are going through. But I also want to remind us that even in the face of trial and pain and suffering, this is a world saturated with God's grace. But we fail sometimes to recognize and to see God's grace precisely because God's grace is so prevalent. The author, David Foster Wallace, was once giving a commencement address at Kenyon College. He told this anecdote. He said, There are these two fish, two young fish, swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way. And the older fish nods at them and says, Morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the heck is water? Because if you just swim in the water, then you don't notice it. And like, we're like those two young fish. We swim in God's grace and God's goodness day in and day out, over and over again. And because of that, we don't always notice God's grace and God's goodness. We begin to think that all the, the good things that happen to us happen because that's just the way the world's supposed to be. That's the way the world should be. Or we think that the good things that happen to us happen because we deserve them. Like we've earned them somehow. But look, once we start thinking we deserve something, we've earned something, it's no longer grace. 
So what we need to understand in all of this is that we don't deserve nearly as many good things as we think we do. Like every good thing we have, like every breath we take is a gift of God's grace. And that's really the message I want us to take home this morning. That's the message that's been firmly on my heart this week and I've prepared. Right? Like that, man, we are surrounded by God's goodness and grace. We have so much goodness and grace that we take for granted so often. And as I've kind of prepared this sermon, like I've, I've struggled with how to, to communicate that well and that clearly, be, precisely because like it's so counterintuitive. It's so easy to see the bad things that are happening and think that there's no room left for God's goodness and God's grace. But I'm going to do my best this morning to drive that point home, that our world is saturated by God's grace. And to get anywhere understanding that, we have to start with one big question, which is, what do we deserve? What is it our right to expect? We get the answer to that in Genesis 2.17. God tells Adam, You, Adam, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, here's what you deserve. Right? You will certainly die. Like, there is one rule Adam has to follow. One way he can sin. Eat from the knowledge of good, the tree of good and evil. Like, and if you do that, if you sin, then you deserve death. Likewise, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Sin deserves death. And if we don't grasp that fundamental truth, that, that all sin, any sin, deserves death, if then none of this talk about God's grace is going to make any sense. We have to start there. That sin deserves death. But Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they don't die immediately. Like you and I, like we all sin in many ways, day after day, and yet we're still here. We're not dead. Like we didn't die the instant we committed our first sin. God would have been right. God would have been just if that's what happened. God would have just let us kill us the moment we committed our first sin. The angels who rebelled against God, they didn't get a period of time to repent. 2 Peter 2.4 tells us that. But God didn't do that to us. He didn't kill us immediately because of His grace. Like every good thing we experience... Every moment we have after our first sin is more than we deserve. It's a gift of God's grace to us. When sometimes we think about grace, we only think about God's saving grace to us through Jesus. That's certainly a huge component of it, but I'm not just talking about that kind of grace. I'm talking about what God is talking about what is often called God's common grace. Grace, right? God's grace towards all His people, no matter what they think about Him, no matter how righteous or unrighteous they are, God is gracious to everyone. In Matthew 5, we read, God causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Not because they deserve it, but because of His grace. Likewise, in Acts 14, Paul's talking to a group of Gentiles, right? Not Jews, but Gentiles who don't worship, don't follow God at all. And he says to them, God has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you, you Gentiles, rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. God did that for Gentiles who are worshiping false gods. Or Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger and rich in love, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. Every good thing that happens to us, every moment that goes by without our debt to sin being called in is due only to God's grace. Now that's Jesus' point here in Luke chapter 13. Like twice, in verses 3 and in verse 5, he says, Unless you repent, you too will all perish. The lesson to learn from the death of the people that Herod had killed, the lesson to learn from the death of the people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam collapsed, is that like, apart from God's grace, those events wouldn't even be noteworthy. Events like them, or even worst events, would be the norm if it were not for God's grace. We all ultimately deserve death, just like the people that Pilate killed. Just like the people who are crushed under the Tower of Siloam. In the book of Acts, we see the the story of Ananias and Sapphira. they, They sold this plot of land, And they took the money and they decided to give some of that money to the church, which sounds like a nice thing to do. The problem is they they lied and they they gave a portion of what they got, but they said they were giving all of it. That they wanted to look super holy and super self-sacrificial and get all kinds of credit for being super generous. And so they lied that they were giving all the money to the church. Which, for being honest, like in the grand scheme of things, doesn't seem like the worst sin. Like, so they want a little extra credit. Like, doesn't seem like a terrible thing. And yet, both of them were struck dead immediately for their sin. When I read that story, like, my first thought, honestly, is, well, seems a bit harsh. A little extreme. That seems harsher than they deserve. But the point of Ananias and Sapphira's story and the point of the event in Luke 13 here that these people got exactly what their sins deserved. It just happened sooner than anyone expected because we're so accustomed to swimming in God's grace. Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless you repent of your sins, turn away from your sins and turn to God, your ultimate destiny is no different than those who suffer these tragic deaths. But God in His grace again is giving you time to repent, time to turn from your sinful ways, time to turn away from your sins and trust in Jesus for forgiveness. In Second Peter we read, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. The promise here being that one day He will judge all sin. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with us. He shows us His grace day after day after day after day because He wants people to come to repentance. He's giving us time. Giving us time to turn away from our sins and turn to Him and to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. But that, but that patience is not eternal. It's not never ending. He will one day demand that our sins are paid for. And therefore, we must be careful not to presume upon His grace. And that's the point, ultimately, of this parable of the fig tree that Jesus tells in the passage. Listen to this parable one more time. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? 
Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then I'll cut it down. And we, before we trust in Jesus, we're like the fig tree who is not bearing fruit here. We're being cared for, we're being tended to by God's grace. Everything maybe seems to be going great for us, even though we're not doing what we were made to do, just to bear fruit. And because of that, it can be easy to think that, well, things are going great, so there's no reason to change. And we confuse the gardener's grace and patience and forbearance with a sign that everything is just as it should be. But the gardener's patience is not, limit, is not unlimited. Eventually, if the tree fails to bear fruit, he will say, cut it down. So if you're here, you're listening, and you've not been living the way God made you to live, if you've been living in rebellion and sin against God, but you're not too worried about it because it seems like things are going pretty well for you. Do you think, oh, maybe I'm getting away with it? I would just urge you, don't presume upon God's grace. He is being patient, but His patience is not unlimited. Take seriously Jesus' word that unless you repent, you too will perish. But the good news is, there's that unless. If you repent, if you trust in Jesus, if you turn away from your sins and turn to God, then that debt to sin, that your death, that your sin earned you, it was paid for by Jesus on the cross. That He died in your place when you trust in Him. That the ultimate expression of God's grace. That He sent Jesus to take our sins by dying in our place for those who trust in Him. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never had your debt to sin taken care of, I just urge you to do that. But if you're here, and you have trusted in Jesus, you've followed in Jesus, Hear my encouragement. We leave here. Can I just urge you to never stop being amazed by God's grace. We just sang the word, amazing grace. And we can sing it, but we take time to really reflect on just how truly amazing that grace is. Are we constantly amazed by God's grace to us? Are we amazed, first and foremost, that God would send His Son to suffer and die in our place so that our sins can be forgiven? But then also, are we constantly amazed by God's daily display of small graces to us? Are we constantly amazed when good things happen, when we wake up feeling halfway decent, when we have moments of joy with friends or family. Like They're all God's grace. You don't deserve them. You didn't earn them. They are a gift from God. Let's not stop being amazed by His grace. Every good thing we have is something we don't deserve. There's a band... Reliant K. They have a song called Be My Escape. There's a lyric in that song that's kind of always stuck with me. In that song, they say that the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. The fair punishment for our sin is immediate and eternal death. But because of grace, life is not fair. We don't get what we deserve. Because of God's grace, we experience joy and happiness and delight in this life. 
Even in the midst of trial and suffering, there's still moments of goodness. And when those moments of trial and darkness and hardship come, God's grace assured us above all that we all look forward to one day having eternal joy with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. The ultimate expression of God's grace that He gives us that joy-filled eternity. Let's not stop being amazed by God's grace. You pray with me. Father, you, your grace toward us truly is amazing. There is so much good in our life that we are prone to thinking that we have somehow earned or deserve that we don't. There's so much bad that could happen that we have earned that you don't give to us. So would we, this morning, be amazed by your grace? Would we have an acute awareness of the small joys of life that you so graciously give us? We just be aware of all the good things we have. Every moment you give us in this life is more than we deserve, so let us pour out our appreciation to you for it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We not presume on your grace. Would we use the life that we don't deserve, that you've given us, would we use them to serve you and to bring you glory? in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave this morning, would you go with an abiding sense of the fact that you live in a world saturated by God's grace. Even in amidst the trial and hardship, God's grace is still abundant. Would you go amazed by that grace? You are dismissed.